I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And as you're turning there, most of you probably grown up, you've had a birthday party, thrown a birthday party, and you know those really cheap balloons that you're supposed to blow up for your kids, but you, you didn't want to pay for the really good balloons. So you bought the cheap ones. And, and you just know, y'all know what happens with the cheap balloons, right? Soon as you start blowing those things up, pop, something's going to happen. And, and so the scripture that we're reading today, Paul is talking about uh, being puffed up. And I was just thinking about those balloons is that not everything that is growing is a good thing. <laughs> not, not everything that is increasing is good. I don't know about you, but when I blow those up, I blow them up with my eyes squinted. I kind of close and I'm just hoping I can get through it. And so I know that you will get the answer to the question before we even read the scripture. But I'm going to give you a pretest. If Paul, the writer of 1 Corinthians, was to ask you this morning, do you think it is better to be puffed up with knowledge or built up with love? What do you think the right answer is? Yeah. I want to talk to you today about a very, uh, very famous portion of Scripture. We don't often look at the total context of it, but Paul tells the church this. Uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And, and so to set the context for the Scripture today, something is going on in Corinth that is not going on in this, I, this same way in Chester, South Carolina. You have to understand that Corinth is a very large city, and there are people coming from all over the world, and the, the church has been established there. And so the church has Jews who used to uh, follow the law of Moses. They're there. You've got these other believers who were Greeks, and they served and worshipped pagan idols, and they're there. And God has brought these people together and made them one body. But there is this one question that they cannot seem to get over, and the question is this, Paul, should we eat meat that is sacrificed to idols? Now y'all are sitting there going, why are we talking about that? Now y'all stay with me, okay? Why are we talking about meat sacrificed to idols? Well, let me keep building on, on the context here. So if you went into the market at Corinth and you bought meat, most of you would go to the grocery store and you would want grade A meat, I think choice or something like that. If you go to a really nice restaurant, you want prime. You know? and, and so you would go into the markets and they would have food grade meat. But if you couldn't afford food grade meat, they had some other meat. It was meat that they had sacrificed to idols and it was cheaper meat. Now the, que the, the, the question of the Christians is this. Can we save a couple of dollars on the grocery bill? if we get the, the meat that's sacrificed to idols. Now, there were some people saying, absolutely not. And some of the other Christians were saying, I don't think it's a big deal. But then it goes further. Some people would buy that meat and they would prepare it and they would invite the Christians over for dinner. Now, what do you do? Do you ask them? Um, is that like the good stuff or is that the idol stuff? You know, do you, do you do that to the guests? And so they're asking, 
Paul, what do we do? Do we, do we not eat at all? Do we not go to dinner? Do we ask them? And, and, and then the third thing was, they would have these huge celebrations, and Corinth was an idol-worshiping place, and it wasn't uncommon for the Christians to get invited to a festival where they were worshiping gods, and sure enough, they're going to eat this food that is sacrificed to idols. Now, the reason that is such a problem is because you have, I told you, you have Jews in the church, and the Jews are saying, that is not kosher. And we do not need to eat that stuff. And Paul, you need to tell these folks to quit eating that meat. Then you had some other Christians who they said, Paul, in fact, they write in chapter 8, verse 1, actually should have some quotation marks around knowledge. What they were saying to Paul, they had sent him word. And some of these Christians basically said, now, Paul, we know what's going on. We, we know what's right. We're the mature ones. We understand that, that you, it doesn't matter if you eat food to idols or not. It's no big deal. And, and so they're thinking, let's just all eat and everybody else should eat. And then you've got these other believers who they just came to Christ. And before that, they were worshiping these idols. And they're saying, Paul, I don't think it's a good idea that we go back and, and eat that kind of food again. It, it, it could cause us to go back into our old ways. That's the context. I debated if I should read these verses to you. But I want to read all 13 because I want you to hear Paul's heart in writing to the church. And I'm going to read it from the message translation. Y'all okay with that? Y'all know I love me some New American Standard. All right, now when I study, I study out of the New American Standard because I think it's a good Bible to study from. When you just want to know what's going on, the message is a good translation. If you just want to figure out what's going on. So I want to read. I think I can do this in about three minutes. Can you handle that if I read 13 verses in three minutes? All right, I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm in the message and I'm starting in verse 1. It says, The question that keeps coming up regarding meat that has been offered up to idols, should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? We sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these kinds of questions. But sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. Mm, yeah, We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. Some people say quite rightly that idols have no actual existence, that there's nothing to them, that there is no God other than our one God, that no matter how many of these so-called gods are named and worshipped, they still don't add up to anything but a tall story. They say again quite rightly that there is only one God the Father, that everything comes from Him. And that he wants us to live for him. Also, they say that there is only one master, Jesus, the Messiah. And that everything is for his sake, including us. Yes, it is true. In strict logic then, nothing happened to the meat when it was offered up to an idol. It's just like any other meat. I know that and you know that. But knowing it isn't everything. If it becomes everything, some people end up as know-it-alls who treat others as know-nothings. Real knowledge isn't that insensitive. We need to be sensitive to the fact that we're not all in the same place of understanding in these things. Some of you have spent your entire lives eating idle meat and are sure that there's something bad in the meat and then it becomes something bad inside of you. An imagination and a conscience shaped under those conditions is, going to, is not going to change overnight. But fortunately, God doesn't grade us on our diet. Oh, praise God. 
We're, we're neither commended when we uh, clean our place nor reprimanded when we just can't stomach it. But God does care when you use your freedom carelessly in a way that leads a fellow believer who is still vulnerable to those old associations to be thrown off track. For instance, say you flaunt your freedom by going to a banquet thrown in honor of idols, where the main course is meat sacrificed to idols. Isn't there great danger if someone's still struggling over these issues? Uh, someone looks to you as knowledgeable and mature and sees you going into that banquet? The danger is that he will become terribly confused, maybe even to the point of getting mixed up himself in what his conscience tells him is wrong. Christ gave us his life for, for Christ gave us his life for that person. Wouldn't you at least be willing to give up your dinner for him? Because you say, it doesn't really make any difference. But it does make a difference if you hurt your friend terribly, risking his eternal ruin. When you hurt your friend, you hurt Christ. A free meal here and there isn't worth it. The cost of even one of these weak ones. So never go to these idol-obtained meals if there's any chance it will trip one of your brothers or sisters up. Isn't that good? Yeah. So you can imagine as Paul is writing this, keep in mind, because I think we still do this today, we want to know who's right. Don't we? We want to be right. We want to know what's right. And so... When they wrote to Paul, the issue is this, Paul, you tell us who's right. And I thought about us today and I said, man, we're still just like that. Who's right? Which one of us is right? What's right? And Paul doesn't even really answer the question, which I think is great. Because when he answers the question, he kind of leads both, on, both sides on for just a minute. I want to share this and then I'll move on. So, so he says to them, You know that there are no such thing as, as idols. They're not real gods. Little g, there's only one God. And the Jews would have stood up and went, Yeah, because part of their, their prayers is that there is but one God. And you could just hear now they're like, Oh, Paul's on our side. Yes, we're right. But then he goes on and he says, and, and you know that you can eat or not eat, that this food really doesn't take on anything strange because it's given toward idols. And now everybody says, Paul, what you talking about, Willis? Some of y'all are too young for that. They're like, Paul, what, what, what are you doing? And, and what Paul eventually ends up saying is, it doesn't matter so much who is right or what is right. It matters if what you are doing is causing your fellow brother or sister to stumble. So then now we understand and we can look at first the first verse, the second verse, and the third verse with more clarity. And I'm going to go back in my New American Standard for that. Now concerning these sacrifices to idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Hmm. So here is, here's what Paul says. He, he doesn't so much address this question as this deeper thing. Paul says to them, this is not a theological question. What has happened is the devil has used an opportunity. Because if you were here last week, we understand the devil is so good at what he does because he, he practices. 
Yeah, the devil is so good at what he does because he practices. And the devil has found a way that he can create an issue to bring division to this church. And what Paul is saying is, it is not who is right or what is right that is the issue here. What is the real issue is, are you going to be divided by what you believe and what others believe? Are you going to let that divide you? Now, I want to clarify something real quick, because somebody will say, so, Kevin, you mean there's no truth? Well, yes, there's truth. There's absolute truth. Paul isn't saying that there's not truth, there's not absolute truth. He's not saying that you can't ever know anything. What he is saying is there are times where the truth is not the most important thing, that people are more important. And so he tells us then that there's two kinds of truths. Can we dissect these two verses for just a moment? We'll dissect them and then we'll have some application. He says there's two kinds of knowledge. There is a knowledge that puffs up like that balloon I talked about. And there is a kind of knowledge that builds up. Now let's take the one that puffs up first. There is a knowledge and he says it is supposed or it's imaginary. What does he mean by that? Any of you ever thought you knew something? Yeah. Yeah, me too. It, it seems like that point where you really think you know something is probably the place where you really don't know anything at all. Yeah, that's what Paul is saying. He said there is a knowledge, and it is supposed, it is imaginary. You think you know something. But that kind of knowledge is dangerous because he said what it leads to is it leads to pride. I know. I'm in the right. I'm the one. It leads to, to pride. It leads to arrogance. You want to know how you can identify it? By its lack of love. You want to know if you're being puffed up, if you have imaginary knowledge, ask yourself if you're loving well. And if you're not loving well, you might be puffed up. And so he says, he says you'll know it by its lack of love. And so what does this kind of knowledge do? It it doesn't build up, it tears down. It destroys and it, and it hurts people. It ignores people, it creates division. And it brings isolation to people. Now, isn't that exactly what the devil wants to do? That is exactly what the devil wants to do. And he plays his cards through that puffed up knowledge. But then Paul says, but there's another kind of knowledge. And it's the real knowledge. And if you want to know where there's real knowledge, look for humility. Just look for the humble. Because the humble are carrying inside of them uh, a real knowledge of who God is. How do you identify it? It's those people who are loving well. And it seeks to build up. It pulls people up. It, it heals people. It listens to people. It creates and maintains connection and relationship with people. I can summarize it like this. Paul is saying you have a choice. You can be right or you can be kind. But sometimes you can't be both. And he's asking us to decide which one do you prefer. So let me ask you, which one do you prefer? Do you prefer being right or do you prefer being kind? That one stung me all week long. Isn't it? 
You have to look back over your life and say, man, do I really prefer just being in the know, being right, or do I prefer being kind to the, to the people that are around me? And so what Paul is lovingly doing is bursting their bubble, <laughs> their pride-filled bubble. He's, he's bursting it. And he's actually showing us that right in those places where we think we are strong, that is the place where we're actually the weakest. And as I was reading through these scriptures, I was thinking about something that happened to me in my garage. So I want to share this story with you. It's always good to make fun of Kevin, right? It's always good when you can make fun of yourself, you know, be self-deprecating. Let's do that right now. So I'm in my garage, y'all, and I've got this air compressor. And it's turned wide open, okay? So it's going to put full pressure in this air compressor. And I've got a... It goes up onto my workbench, and it has a reel, and it's got a hose. And some of you women are going, really? Are we going to talk about this? Just bear with us. This is a man's story. Okay? Go ahead. <laughs> Preach. I got this hose, and all I have to do is beautiful. I just pull this hose out, and I just go wherever I want to go, and I just pump up tires and things all over the garage and outside of the garage. It's beautiful. And so I... This thing is wide open, and I forget about that. And I'm pulling it out, and I'm getting ready to pump up a tire. And just as I go to put air in this tire, <laughs> the most awful explosion occurred in my garage. Scott, I can't even tell you how loud it was, dude. I thought, I thought the whole garage blew up. I'm not, I, it was so stinking loud. And this is not to offend any little girls in the crowd, but y'all, I scream like a little girl. <laughs> My heart's racing just thinking back to it. I I'm not a screamer. I'm not a yeller. Brantley, if you walk behind her and she doesn't know you there, she's going to yell. So Caden and I walked through the house going, it's just us, don't scream. <laughs> but I'm not a yeller by nature. But I screamed like a little girl. And, and I looked at myself. I'm checking myself to see. I think the air compressor has exploded. I think the, it's so loud. I think the whole air compressor has blown. And I'm thinking, I have shrapnel in my body. Y'all are thinking, you can't think of all that stuff that fast. Yes, you can. You'll be amazed at how many thoughts can run through your mind at one time. I literally go, okay, I'm not bleeding. I think I'm alive. <laughs> what just happened? I look behind the car and I look at my compressor and, and it's still going. And I go over and I look and the hose that goes up from the air compressor to the, the hose reel had a spot in it. And that spot in the hose had failed. And the hose exploded. Now I started thinking to myself, now self, how can we keep this from happening again? Because that's really scary. And what had happened was this hose went up and it went over my workbench and, and it turned. And it turned a little bit too sharp. Guys, y'all know what I'm getting ready to talk about, right? And, and, and so I would use it and, and take it apart and put it back together. And it was creating a weak spot in the hose. 
But you see, I couldn't see the weak spot from the outside. It looked just fine to me. There was no way to tell that this thing was becoming weak internally. Oh, oh, are we about to figure out how to connect my story with the Scripture and now with life? Yeah, we're about to get it, right? This thing was creating a weak spot, and I didn't know it. I looked and thought everything was fine, but it wasn't fine. There was something wrong on the inside. And when the pressure built up and it got enough, it had enough pressure inside of it, it failed. And Paul is saying to us, there are times where there is a weak spot on the inside. And you do not realize that it is there. But as the pressure builds up, you're going to fail at the weak spot. Hmm. So now I think we're ready for some personal application. Can we do that? So we need to be thinking about these, these weak spots in our lives. Can I tell you that if you are going to break down as a person, if you're going to have a moment, if you're going to falter, if there's a place where you're going to feel hurt and feel wounded by the people around you, it's going to be in the weak spot. It's going to be in the spot that you've been puffed up, that you think it's good there and it's not good. And, and so what happens then is that weak spot exposes what in, is inside of us. Organizations, think about churches, think about your family, think about business. Any of those places, well, they'll fall at the weak spot too. That's what Paul is saying to the church. He said, man, you got a lot of good things going, but you got a weak spot. You prefer knowledge that puffs up as opposed to love that builds up. And the enemy is going to put enough pressure into your, now listen to this, your family, your business, your church. He's going to put enough pressure that that thing will be exposed and that's where it's going to fail. Now, for most of us, we think that the damage is going to come from the outside. Oh, stay with me. Most of us are praying against the stuff that is on the outside of our person. You know, that person that you don't like that always causes that thing inside of you. You're praying for them, right? Lord, make them leave. Lord, get rid of them. Lord, remove them, right? Because they're the problem. And if we can just get rid of them, that, that, that external problem, then everything's going to be okay. Yeah? And, and, and you go to work and you think, you know what? I'd have so much more fun at work if so-and-so wasn't there. <laughs> when, when you pray at night about your spouse, you go, you know, Lord, this family would be a lot better if old spouse over here get to act together. Ah, <laughs> oh, Lord. I just pray for them. Lord, help them. Because you think they're the problem. Yeah. You know what Paul is saying? You don't have to be afraid of the external pressure. You don't need to be worried about what's on the outside of you. What you need to be worried about is the weak spot inside of you. Because here's what's happening. That person, that situation, that circumstance 
It's building up the pressure inside of you. And what it is actually doing is exposing the weakness. And if you'll let God, He'll fix you at the weak spot. But if you try to ignore the weak spot and act like it's not there, then the warning of Paul, he says, be careful. Love, uh, knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. You're not being built up right now. You're about to explode. And you're exploding over. Have you ever noticed sometimes how you keep having the same problems over and over again? That's a weak spot. You ever notice how the same kind of people drive you crazy? You're like, Lord, I just got rid of one. Now there's another one. <laughs> you know why? Because it, it's not about them. It's about you. And then what that does is it fundamentally changes the way I view maturity. Ooh, now stay with me because I'm going I'm to take another step in another direction. I want to make sure you follow with me. When I start looking at maturity, then I've got to judge it on an entirely different playing field that I've judged it on before. So when I've looked at Christian maturity before, and you may be the same way, if I quizzed you today and said, who are the most mature people? You'd probably say, well, it's the person that's been in church all their life. So you'd look at somebody and you'd say, oh, so-and-so has been in church for 40 years. Like five decades, 50 years. They've been there forever. Surely that is a mature Christian. Or you would say, got to be old so-and-so over here because, man, they can quote some Scripture. Oh, my God. They just quote Scripture all the time. Just every word out of their mouth is Scripture. Surely they have to be the mature ones. Or you would look at someone who is, who is very gifted and you would say, Oh, man, you know that teach. They just teach the Word of God. They're so good. I just hang off of every word. That's a mature person. You know, that person over there, I just go to them when I get sick because I want to be prayed for. The, that person who is gifted, surely they're, they're mature. That person with power. You, you know the one when you get sick, you want them to pray for you? Yeah. You always want the ones you think are the most powerful. When you get in trouble, you want them praying for you, right? Yeah. You say, surely that's the mature one. But are they? But are they? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You see, I don't think we've been judging maturity the way we're supposed to judge it. I think we've looked at it all wrong. Paul says, don't look at the one who knows it all. Look at the one who is building up people in love and there's your mature believer. Yep, might need to say it again. Might have missed it. Paul says, don't look at the ones that the world looks at as mature Look at the ones who are building other people up in love and there's a mature believer. They may not be able to quote Scripture the way other people can quote Scripture. They may not be powerfully gifted as well as other people in the church. You may not see a kind of power in them that you see in other people. But I tell you what, when the going gets tough, those people will stand. Because they know God, verse 3, they know God. God knows them. They know how to love. And love is what builds up. 
So see, we got to get a whole new priority system. We got to look at things entirely different now. What does spiritual maturity look like? What does a mature believer look like? It looks like someone who builds other people up in love. Wow. Which takes me back to Corinthians and I'll close. If you don't know about the Corinthian church, they were incredibly powerful. I mean, this church was spirit-filled, full of the Holy Ghost. I mean, praying. They loved the gifts. They were operating in the spiritual gifts. There was power there. But they were puffed up. That's why Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love. That's why he wrote to them. And that's why he said what he said. He said, though you speak with the tongues of men and angels, but you have not love. You're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You've heard me say this before, right? Verse 2 says, if you have all knowledge, know all mysteries, and have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but you do not have love. Nothing. If you... Give all your possessions to feed the poor and you surrender your body to be burned, but you don't have love. Nothing. Paul says, you folks are looking at it all wrong. You think you're looking at spiritual gifts and power and people who understand the Word of God. And he says, but the most spiritual people around you are the ones who know how to build each other up in love. So here's what I've been doing. And I want to ask you to do the same. This is where we pull out our phone to the note page on your phone or steal an envelope in the back of that pew, right, that seat right in front of you and get a pen. This is the part where we want to make application for the week because as I said last week, the devil is so good at what he does because he practices that it would be a shame for us to hear a message and not go away with something that we want to do with it, something that we want to, to, to improve or change about ourselves. And so as you pull up your notes, I want to ask you to think this week along two lines. Have we gotten to a place that we prefer being right over being kind? Is there anybody in your life that maybe there is a conflict in that situation? And you guys are arguing over being right. And what Paul would say is what I need at the moment, and what the Holy Spirit is saying, what I need at the moment is somebody who can go and be kind. I need somebody who can go and build up in love. So I want you to explore your relationships right now and see if any of them are on the rocks because you have preferred knowing truth, being right, over being kind. And then lastly, I want you to think about this. Is there a place in your life where you seem like you run into the same situation, the same person over and over again? And is this the Holy Spirit saying to you, there's a weak spot. There's a weak spot and you've been ignoring it. There's a place in your life that you keep going back to and repeating. There's a, there's a situation that always gets you. And now you're in a better position because you're looking for the weak spot. Now you're not blaming them anymore. Now you're not praying for God to remove them. Now you're praying for God to do something inside of you. Yeah. <laughs> Can I tell you the secret to the Christian life? Don't worry about the people around you. 
Baron, I think we're talking about this about this this week. In in John, Peter is restored by Jesus, and he looks over at John and he asks Jesus, he said, But 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 Jesus, what about him? But what about him? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, what is he to you? I tra- translated that for Baron. Baron knew it too, but I, I am the nearly inspired Kevin. What that mean? Nearly N-I-K-B. <laughs> Jesus looks at him, he says, What business is that of yours? He looks, at, he looks at Peter and he says, mind your business. Mind your business. Mind your weak spot. And let me fix it. And then, can you imagine that as a church begins to deal with its weak spots, then it can handle the pressure that is required to be the church in 2020. Because I'm telling you, 2020 is a challenge. <laughs> 2020 is a challenge, and it requires in us a spiritual maturity that we can build up so that we can be held under the pressure so that we can be salt and light to the world. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to ask you, will you work on your weak spot if I work on mine? Will you prefer kindness over rightness if I do the same? Yeah, see, I think that's a church that the gates of hell can't prevail against. Yeah. Yeah, stand up. I want to pray for you. We're not doing music this week. I will say this. There is always an invitation here. If you're watching us online, they're going to put up a connect card online. You just click on that link if you need us to pray. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you need ministry in any kind of way, want to be a part of this church. For you guys that are in the room, there's one of those in the front of the seat in front of you. It says connect. If you need prayer, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you need somebody to reach out to you, we'll do that. And lastly, I'm going to hang around down here. If you want to have a conversation with me, I'll stay as long as I need to to make sure that we're built up in love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the word today. The knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that we would be a church that is built up in love. And Father, today that this might be an opportunity for us to explore some areas where we've we've gotten off track, that we have preferred being right uh, over being kind. Some opportunities where we have been hard-headed, been stubborn at the result of hurt relationships and feelings. And, And so if there's some marriages that need to be healed this morning, I pray that this would be the beginning of that. If, if there's some family relationships that are strained, this might be the beginning of healing. If there's church relationships, if there's community relationships, business relationships, that Lord, you heal them. Because we just believe that you're still in the healing business. That you're still healing. That you're still redeeming. And we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.